Hello, and welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast today. I am Ada, and I am flying solo again today. I'm trying to fix my microphone as we speak. I apologize for that. Should have done that before I started recording. Um, (laughs) Okay, so today I have so many things I want to talk to you about. There are so many things happening in the world that are giving me pause, that are enraging me that are making me sad it's just such a confusing and frustrating time in the world but before I get into that first I did want to address an update about Esther so Esther started this podcast with me she is my dearest friend she literally has saved my life in my darkest moments and we kind of traversed this uh faith crisis together and we started the podcast to just kind of get all of our thoughts and feelings out it was very empowering and super fun to do that with her Um, but she has chosen to step away from the ex-mormon world she's just ready to move on and leave it in the past and i 100 support her decision and know that that's what's best for her she's taking care of her emotional and mental health and that's so important so we are still you know the best of friends and we still talk almost every day Uh, so I just wanted to give you that little update. I know people are going to be sad that she's no longer going to be on the podcast with me. I was hoping that I would, that she would occasionally be on, but I also fully respect and honor her decision and that boundary that she's setting, um, because she knows that that's what's going to be best for her. And I trust her in that. Right. And this is something that we're kind of like learning together at the same time. Like I have realized since I've left the church that the entirety of the church, its doctrine, its teachings, its culture, all of this stuff really creates a very codependent type of relationship um, between myself and everyone around me. Like literally we have this idea that we're supposed to be like everyone, that we're supposed to please everyone. Even the entire idea of Jesus is very, a a very codependent idea. It's so, it's like this thing of trying to figure out how to differentiate myself from others, even my very closest friends. Uh, We deal with things differently. We care about different things. We don't have to be the same or even, even be on the same page. We don't have to come to the same conclusions about things. We don't have to... We don't have to make decisions based on pleasing other people anymore. And so that is... That is really baked into Mormon culture and Mormon doctrine. And so that's something that I'm, that's one of the big things I'm trying to unlearn now that, uh, now that I'm out of the church. And so, so it's funny because when, you know, Esther kind of had said, Hey, I am, I am, I'm done with ex-Mormon stuff. Like I just need to move on. It's not healthy for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on 100%. And that actually made me kind of go, wait a sec, you know, am I, am I too obsessed with ex-woman stuff? Am I just falling into a rut? Am I not growing and moving forward in my life? Like for a minute, or I shouldn't say a minute, like for a couple of days, I really thought deeply about this because suddenly I had this idea that, oh, 
well, maybe I should be doing what she's doing. Maybe she's doing the right thing and I'm doing the wrong thing. Uh, so, of course, you know, I start pulling out the manual I have about myself and how to do things right and what's the wrong way to do it. Um, and I think that that's just so embedded in me from Mormonism. Uh, but, you know, I've thought so much about it and I actually love where I'm at. I'm fascinated by everything Mormonism. It's my heritage. It's who I am at my very core. Uh, I just feel like it's it's not time for me to walk away from it. I feel like this is really important work that I'm doing. I love the ex-Mormon community. Every time that we share our stories, we're kind of invited into each other's healing and growth. And we kind of get to validate each other. Uh, we, we get to share our stories. It's just... I think it's it's really important for me and for those who want to be here. This is just such a beautiful space. And I think too often we just kind of create these manuals for ourselves about what we should be doing, what we should be feeling, what life is supposed to look like. And I try to really look at those things and notice when I'm using a manual on myself. And I really try to just examine it and say, is that true? Is that, you know, how I want to be? Is that the space I want to be in? Is that how I want to feel? And so... It's, it's a way of being able to differentiate and, and become less codependent with other people in my life. So while Esther is moving on and stepping away from the space, I'm still here. And we're both good with each other's decisions. And we continue to love and support each other. We don't have to be in the same space. So I kind of love that. And I wanted to give you that update about her. And, you know, all of us get to choose how and where we thrive the most. And then, and then we move forward in that space. So, uh, so many things going on in the world. Um, this morning I woke up to the news that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And for the love of God, I can't even comprehend why we are even having this conversation. Like, it's so hard for me to comprehend why this is something that is happening in America. I think that I was naive or completely blind or I just rejected the thought that this could ever happen. Even though, you know, a month ago we had, you know, this this news kind of leaked and, and it's like I knew I knew this was coming, but for some reason I still thought that something would change. I don't know why. And I'm just devastated. I'm devastated because I have three children with uteruses, okay? My uterus probably no longer matters, but <laughs> I care for the other uteruses in the world. Why are we why are we trying to control other people's bodies? Like in a free country, uh, why is it up to men in power and in government to control what a woman gets to choose about her body? And you know, it's, it's, oh, it's just so many things that it's hard for me to even communicate to you the feelings that I'm having. It's like, this is an anti, this is anti-minority. This is anti-women. This is, I believe it's anti-democracy. I, it is a really, really devastating day for America. And people will argue that, you know, that uh, 
well, this just turns the decision over to the states individually, and that's how it should be so that the federal government has less power and the states should be able to govern themselves, right? I get that argument and I understand it, but you know what's even better than letting the states decide? How about letting individuals decide? Like, how about fucking get out of our bedrooms, out of our bodies, just how about we just fucking get out of it? It's none of, you know, it's not politics. It's not, the government should not be controlling this. Now, I understand that it's a very complicated issue, and I understand that it involves some, you know, some taxpayer money and some government involvement, but my my position is, and, and I, do, I do not think that I would ever get an abortion, okay? Um, if it was just fully, like, you know, not necessary, but I just didn't want a baby, I don't think that I would choose that. But that's the point, is that every woman should be able to choose for herself. Being pro-abortion, which I kind of hate that term, because what it sounds like to me is that we're pro-killing babies, right? Nobody is pro-killing babies, okay? Nobody wants babies to die. What we want is healthy women. We want empowered women. We want women to be able to make their own choices. And today is just so maddening to me. I'm so frustrated and it feels extremely hopeless. It feels like like we don't like this, well, first of all, it feels like a slippery slope, right? Because it feels like, well, now they're going to come after, um, you know, gay marriage. And if Congress decides to pass a, pass a national anti-abortion law, that is going to be a huge problem. Right now, all they've done is say that the federal government is not going to say that it's legal federally. They're going to, you know, put it back in the in the hands of, of the state. And, I mean, Utah has a decent, I will say a decent law about this, about abortion, meaning that they allow for abortions in the case of, you know, the health of the mother or the baby um, or rape or incest. I mean, that's at least something, I guess. I will give them some credit for that. But the bottom line is the government should not be controlling our bodies whatsoever. It's just deplorable to me. It makes me sick. It is just a, a huge slap in the face that we are still in a backwards patriarchal society with a corrupt government and it just, oh, it just pisses me off. I don't know. I, I could just rant about this forever, but I know that I, I really shouldn't. There's there's no point in ranting about it forever. It's just, it is what it is, right? And in some ways, you know, I'd love for anyone to share any ideas about what individuals can do to make a difference along this front because it feels hopeless. It feels like we don't really get to choose who our government officials are. Yes, we can vote, but man, I'm sitting here in freaking Utah, you guys. Like, I'm surrounded by Trump and Mike Lee supporters. Like, 
what the fuck? I am so disappointed in the American people for who they, you know, decide to vote in. If Mike Lee gets reelected, God, I swear I want to leave Utah. It's the worst. I can't stand that dude. Sorry, I need to get, I need to change the subject. <laughs> how do we get better people? I don't know how we do it. Because I feel like my vote doesn't matter. I I really want it to matter. I always vote. I always speak up when I can. But it just feels like it doesn't make a difference. And it's so incredibly frustrating and discouraging as a woman. And as a woman who has three children with uteruses. This is not okay, you guys. Something has to change. I'm, I'm ready to leave America. That's just the bottom line of it. Anyways, okay. On to the next thing. <laughs> Sorry, this is not what this podcast is supposed to be, uh, be about. So I apologize for my rant. Okay, so there is some news in the, the Mormon discussions world. Uh, Britt Hartley is um, one of the one of the hosts of the Almost Awakened podcast. That's part of the Mormon Discussions umbrella. Bill Reel and Britt Hartley uh, host the Almost Awakened podcast. It's a fantastic podcast if you haven't listened to it yet. I highly recommend it. Um, but this last week, Britt Hartley's daughter, her three-year-old daughter, had an accident. She fell from a two-story window and landed on her head. Now, I have not heard an, a recent update, but I want everybody to know that Mormon Discussions is working on a way to be able to financially support Britt and her family and her daughter at this time, at this difficult time. So I highly recommend that you go to mormondiscussions.org and uh, watch for an update on that. Uh, we are going, we are working behind the scenes to try and figure out a way, the best way to be able to financially help her out in this time of need. Um, and so if you have, if you would like to donate to that, don't be afraid to to look into it. Go to mormondiscussions.org. You can donate there. Um, you can also reach out to us personally, and we can direct you of how to do that. So I, I wanted to talk just a little bit about one, a, a post that Britt Hartley did uh, several days after her daughter had fallen. And one of the after the accident so one of the things that I noticed or one of the things that she talked about was that she was noticing her lack of resistance to what was happening to her or to the way things are and man that resonated so much with me I she was saying how you know in when she was a Mormon that there was so much more resistance and that in this space that she's in now, she just feels the lack of that or the absence of that. And I have noticed so much that I just naturally feel so much more content and so much less anxiety about my life. I don't have so much fear and need to control any outcomes. I used to be so afraid of death. I used to be so not okay with, 
you know, just, you know, when people would say, like, give it to God, let God, you know, put it in God's hands. No, I was never okay with that. I was never okay to release my control and let God take it from me. I never trusted God, even though I knew... I, th I thought I knew that God existed and that he loved me and I felt a connection with him. I did not trust him. And I've gone back and thought about why that is. And I think it's because of all of the indoctrination that I learned about who God is and that some of the most righteous and faithful people on this earth have had some of the worst trials and persecutions and horrible things happen to them, right? And there's this, there's this, uh, what is it? It's like this pedestalizing of suffering, that somehow suffering for God's sake makes you, you know, better, more faithful, higher in the eyes of God. And so I always had this idea that if I suffered a lot, or that if I wanted to be the most faithful, and if that if I was the most faithful, that I would suffer the most. I, I equated those two. And so I constantly lived in fear and foreboding joy, meaning when I was happy and when things were going well, I was constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was constantly thinking that something bad was just around the corner and that, oh, things are too good. So I know that God is just going to take it all away from me because apparently he's an asshole. Apparently he wants us to suffer. Uh, it's always like that refiner's fire, you know, analogy. That that way of like saying that the most righteous, faithful people suffer the most. I don't know why, but that is just the way it was taught to me and the way I always felt. And so, you know, hearing Britt talk about how, you know, she's going through this terrible, terrible tragedy and and trial, I guess you would call it in Mormon, in Mormon speak, but she didn't feel resistance or the need to fight against it. And I just loved that. It felt so peaceful. It is what it is. And, and, and I also can't speak from her experience because clearly I've not experienced that. I have not experienced a terrible death. I have experienced death, but nobody that has been super close to me. I it, it might be a completely different story when it's your own kid or your spouse or your sibling or something like this where, you know, I, I if that were to happen, maybe I would have a huge amount of resistance. But the fact of the matter is that I don't fear death on a daily basis. I can honestly say that there are very few days that go by where I don't think to myself how wonderful this life is and how incredibly happy I am. I know that I come from a place of incredible privilege. I'm white, cisgender, heterosexual, middle class, educated. My husband and I earn a higher income than many of our peers. I sometimes feel embarrassed to even say that. And of course, I'm not saying it to brag, but to point out that I recognize that I do have incredible privilege and I have incredible ignorance about social issues sometimes. Those who are in lower socioeconomic status, less privileged, people of color, people on the margins of society, trans, gay, etc. They have had to fight for things that I have always taken for granted. And I am sincerely trying to be better. I'm trying to educate myself. I'm trying to be 
aware and speak out about issues that hurt people with less privilege than I have. And I'm just coming to more understanding, more empathy. But with that brings more rage, (laughs) right? For the injustice in the world. When you put yourself in this space of caring about these issues, there is definitely more rage. (laughs) There's definitely more outrage, more anger, more all the things. I don't even know the words to use to describe it. But, and that can be painful at times, right? I can, I like I was saying earlier with the Roe v. Wade thing, I, I feel incredible despair and I feel incredible anger. But hopefully that can be directed towards doing something about it and making change in the world. And that's part of the reason why I speak up about it. There are many people who just want to put their heads in the sand. And I get that completely because that's a more comfortable, safe space to be, to just ignore it all, you know, put on the blinders, stay in your little bubble. Don't, don't learn about it. Don't, don't get wrapped up in it because it's hard, right? It's uncomfortable. But I choose to be in this space and to keep working and trying to make the world better and safer for everyone. And that's why I'm here. So the other, the other topic I wanted to talk about was this past week with Juneteenth. Um, so I've only, this is embarrassing, but I've only known about this holiday in the last like maybe three or four years. I, I'm seriously embarrassed uh, of my ignorance, but I'm trying to do better, right? Uh, Juneteenth is the celebration of the releasing of enslaved people. So, uh, it, June 19th and 1865, a union general went to Galveston, Texas to inform the enslaved African Americans of their freedom and that the civil war had ended. The emancipation proclamation given by Abraham Lincoln had been declared two and a half years earlier, but these slaves still didn't even know about it. So, June 19th, 1865 is when they learned about it and when they were actually released. Um, so this, this holiday has been being celebrated by people of color ever since then, right? And us stupid, white, ignorant people, <laughs> uh, just it, it was not on my radar. It was not something that I knew about until just the last few years, which is really pathetic. But now it's become a federal holiday, which is fantastic. I think that's a step in the right direction, right? So I found, this is interesting, the church's Facebook page made a statement about Juneteenth, and it's, I, don't, I think there was like an article or something. I didn't even read it, but I just happened to see that. Somebody mentioned it, and I went and looked, and it, it talked about its work with the NAACP. Well, the comments on this Facebook page were ridiculous. I couldn't even believe it. There were some people that were so racist and terrible. It I couldn't believe it. I just literally sat there and just shook my head. And I understand like the church's PR department tries to make the church seem like they're doing better and they're being more inclusive. And I have to give them credit for that. But a lot of it seems like it's too little too late, at least for like some generations of people. (laughs) 
<laughs> there is still so much rampant racism in the church. And I'm not sure, you know, it's going to take generations to root that out, right? Because the, <laughs> the ban, the priesthood ban for people of African descent was only lifted in my freaking lifetime, you guys. 1978. That is after I was born. How is that even possible? I went and looked up a whole bunch of stuff about this. And and I don't want to just like read through things and make this super boring. But I do want to point out that there is a direct correlation between people who are racist in the church. Like we know why they're racist. Because the church has many racist teachings. And it it's really trying. I will give it some credit that it is trying. But... Here's a little here's a little piece of uh, I'm going to read a couple pieces of the Gospel Topics essay about race in the priesthood. So one of one part says over time church leaders and members have advanced many theories to explain the priesthood and temple restrictions. None of these explanations is accepted today as official doctrine of the church. So I think it's really okay. This is hard for me because. First of all, they use this word theories. They say, church leaders and members advanced many theories to explain the restrictions, right? Okay, do you know what the definition of a theory is? A theory is a principle formed to explain things that are already shown in data. A theory is a carefully thought out explanation for observations of the natural world that has been constructed using the scientific method. And which brings together many facts and hypotheses. Okay, so a theory is totally different than a hypothesis, right? A hypothesis is come up with before they have done any research to to prove it or to to show some facts that 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 reach a theory. Okay, a theory is something that has been carefully formed because of research, because of observation because of all these different things right so so number one they try to use that word theory to make it seem like it wasn't an official construct or an official i I can't even think of the word i'm sorry i'm just all over the place but what what they do by using that word theory is to try to delegitimize the statements that were made about black people right now, how does the LDS Church define doctrine? Because doctrine is different than a theory, right? What God teaches is called doctrine. God supplies doctrine for his children by way of commandments and instruction that will bless them and bring them happiness. Blah, blah, blah. Just as he did in the Old Testament times, God continues to reveal doctrine through his prophet. President Boy K. Packer said, that the doctrines of the church do not change, but the policies and procedures change all the time. Okay? So this is this is very important to me. I think it's now popular among Mormons to argue that the basis for the ban for people of color to the priesthood is unknown. They think, oh, we don't really know where that came from. Well, guess what? In Brigham Young's time, there was no uncertainty about this it was extremely evident from his initial remark about this in 1849 was the first time he made a statement 
And he continued making statements about this in every freaking opportunity he got. There are so many quotes from President Brigham Young, okay, all throughout his presidency. Uh, I'll read a couple of them. Any man having one drop of the seed of Cain in him cannot receive the priesthood. Oh, that's great. Um, let's see. What else? Um, to the effect that Negroes, in quotes, that's what he, that was the word they used at that time, did not possess sufficient innate spiritual strength and capacity to endure the responsibility that always goes with the priesthood and to successfully resist the powers of darkness that always oppose men who hold it. And that were they to be clothed with it, meaning if they were to be given the priesthood, Evil agencies would harass and torment them, frighten them with spiritual manifestations from a wrong source, and so destroy their rest and peace that the priesthood, instead of being a blessing to them, would be the reverse. Okay. Okay, I think this is really fun. There's so many, though, right? Uh, the gospel topic essays also say... <laughs> okay. They said, President Young said that at some future day, black church members would have all the privilege and more enjoyed by other members. Okay? I love this. This is hilarious because they want to claim that Brigham Young basically prophesied that black people would have the priesthood, right? Well, let me read you a quote straight from Brigham Young. He says, when all the other children of Adam have had the privilege of receiving the priesthood, it will be time enough to remove the curse from Cain and his posterity until the last ones of the residue of Adam's children are brought up to that favorable position. The children of Cain cannot receive the first ordinances of the priesthood. This is a separate quote given at a different time. When all the rest of the children have received their blessings in the holy priesthood, then that curse will be removed from the seed of Cain. Here's another one. When all the other children of Adam have had the privilege of receiving the priesthood and of coming into the kingdom of God and of being redeemed from the four quarters of the earth and have received their resurrection from the dead, then it will be time enough to remove the curse from Cain and his posterity. Ah! Gross. Okay, this is incredibly gross. So, Brigham Young said, everyone else will get the priesthood first. And when every last person has received the priesthood and entered into the kingdom of God and been resurrected, only then will the posterity of Cain receive the priesthood. So, did I miss something? I think I missed something. <laughs> so, they want to take out the piece of his quote that says that they will, at some future day, have all the privileges. <laughs> but they completely neglect to tell everyone what the actual quote was, which said, everyone else gets it first. Everyone. It's just... It's just gross. <laughs> okay, so here's another piece of the uh, 
of the Gospel Topics essay. Today, the church disavows the theories, again, that word theories, advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse, or that it reflects unrighteous actions in a pre-mortal life, that mixed-race marriages are a sin, or that blacks or people of any other race or ethnicity are inferior in any way to anyone else. Church leaders today unequivocally condemn all racism, past and present, in any form. That's so great. I'm so happy for them. <laughs> I'm really trying to give them credit, you guys. But it is still in their goddamn scriptures. All of those theories about unrighteous actions in a premortal life, about unrighteous actions in this life, or that any race or ethnicity is inferior to anyone else. Those, those things are still in their goddamn scriptures, you guys. How can they say that they can unequivocally condemn it? Take it out of your scriptures. Try that. That would be really great. And I think, you know, for people who were raised in the racist church, like my parents, right? My parents are still incredibly racist, and they don't know it. And, you know, they'd probably be so offended if, if I said that to their face. They, they, they would be hurt by that, obviously. Because, and you know what they would say? I'm not racist. I love everyone. And I'm sorry, but I hate that statement more than anything in this world. <laughs> I love everyone. No, that's not being not racist. My parents were taught and, my, and I have heard them. I have heard them say things like that black people were not ready for the priesthood. This, this statement was taught, okay? When, when people were starting to become more progressive and they were starting to try to say, we like black people, but they're just not ready for the priesthood, okay? This is so incredibly offensive, but they don't recognize that it's offensive. My mom thinks that that's a kindness, that that was a kindness, to black people. It's so hard to root these things out unless you can recognize it, unless you can see it. And I know, believe me, I know I have a lot of blind spots. I know that there are things that I say and do that don't line up with what I'm saying. But I am genuinely trying. I'm making an effort to be better, to learn and do better, right? The problem is when Mormons disavow their past, it's not just disavowing institutional history. It's pointing out what's wrong with past leaders because we try to say that the prophet speaks for God, right? Continuing revelation. That is the Mormon belief that our leaders are speaking messages directly from God. So when you disavow a prophet from the past, it undercuts the whole premise that God provides revelation to his people in the present day. Does it not? Like, this doesn't add up. This does not make sense to me. Because when you disavow what the prior prophet said, you are saying that God did not speak to him. So therefore, he wasn't a prophet? So if he wasn't a prophet, then how is the current prophet a prophet? Like, I feel like the entire pyramid, which it is, a pyramid, very much a pyramid scheme here, the whole church, 
it crumbles. It falls apart. The leadership of the church, the prophet who's at the top is built on, like he moved up the ladder from other prophets. So if other prophets were wrong, they were not speaking directly to God. They were not giving messages directly from God. Then neither is this prophet. And that's really at the core of my entire faith crisis, right? Because what I recognized in researching like our past views and messages around LGBTQ people is that we had changed our stance so many times. And these were stances that were created by prophets, by the leadership in the church. These were not just, you know, random people saying this and everyone jumping on board. No, these were our mouthpieces of God. Okay. So you cannot, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that someone is a product of their time or that they're speaking as a man or that they made mistakes and they're just human. They're not perfect. You can't have that and also say that they are God's mouthpiece. That is the problem with having a current prophet, a, a present day prophet or any prophet for that matter, right? But the entire premise of the church is that God's church is restored on the earth and is run by modern day prophets. That can't hold up when they clearly are not speaking for God because God is unchanging, right? If there is a God. God is unchanging. Why would God just change his mind? God is all-knowing, right? He knows the beginning from the end. Why would he suddenly change his mind and say, Oh, I was wrong. Black people are now worthy and able and capable, and they're smart enough to hold the priesthood, right? Or why would he suddenly say, Oh, now we know that LGBT people are born that way. Guess what? God knew it all along. God always knew it. So if God always knew it, it's bullshit to say that the prophet was the mouthpiece for God. Guess what? He wasn't. He never has been. He never will be. That is at the very core of my faith crisis, of why I do not put any stock or any... I do put stock in what they say because it pisses me off and it affects the people around me. But I do not put any of my trust in them. I do not subvert my own authority to those men anymore. And I never will again. And it's one of the most empowering things that I've been able to do. Is to take my power and authority back. And to listen to what feels right and good and moral to me. And that is that every human being on this earth deserves Love, respect, kindness, empathy. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. If there is a God, if there is a God who created us and who loves his children, then all of these stupid structures that we have are meaningless. Because God would not put us in structures and hierarchies and patriarchies in the way that man has done. The patriarchy hurts all of us. Men, women, non-binary, like all of the spectrum of genders and humans on this earth. The patriarchy hurts us. 
in so many incredible ways. And for them to try to convince us that we need to listen to them because they know it's such a fucking fraud for them to say, listen to us, we speak for God and we'll never leave you astray. Guess what? Guess who said that? A prophet. The prophet can never lead you astray. Well, of course not. He's talking about himself. Why would he ever say that he would lead you astray, right? It's so incredibly harmful. This doctrine is harmful in so many ways. And when you're in the church, you do not see the harm. You think that it's such a glorious thing that we have a prophet on the earth today that speaks for God. I remember telling people that on the mission, like being so proud to be able to say, guess what? We have a prophet on the earth today that speaks for God. And I never recognized the danger in that, the absolute danger of believing that somebody else has all the power and speaks for God, for everyone on the earth. Sorry, but that just does not fly anymore. It does not fly. It doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't appear to be working. It's not helping humanity, clearly. So I guess just in closing... I want to apologize for my rant today. <laughs> I have so many big feelings. <laughs> and this is such a good outlet for me, like to just be able to get them all out, to use my voice to just say all the fucking things I want to say. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I offend people, but that's just what's in my mind today, in my heart today, and I really hope that the world can become better, but my fear is that it's getting worse. And in some ways, it gives me a lot of freedom to feel like I'm not trapped or attached to that church anymore, and that I don't have to listen and follow what they say. So in so many ways, in just my individual little bubble of a world, I am so much more incredibly happy. But like I said before, when you step into the space of the issues of the world, you do tend to feel a lot of feelings. And that's where I'm at when it comes to the issues of the world, of trying to make sure that women have rights and people of color have rights and trans people have rights and gay people have rights and that we are doing the best we can for everyone, not just for a select few who we deem worthy of having all the things they need. Like, how can humanity be better and do better? And I'm just really hoping that by speaking out, by, you know, us, everyone, collectively being able to use our voices, hopefully we can use them for good and we can find ways to step up to do the things that will make a difference. I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. Honestly, I'm still in that space of not knowing. I'm being very deliberate in where I donate money. I am looking into the, the charities that I find are doing the most good in the world. 
I'll, I'll just name one right now that I, that I feel passionate about is the Legacy Collective. Um, you can look them up. And they are an organization that is helping lots of different charities. Uh, that is one of the main places where I donate my money. And, and um, that's just one tiny little thing I'm doing. I know there's so much more I could be doing. And I'm genuinely going to look for ways to do more, to say more, to speak up more, to fight more for the marginalized, for the less privileged, for those who need our help the most. And I hope maybe something I've said has inspired anyone else out there to do the same. If I can do it and I feel like I'm just a little person who knows nothing and has no power, but if I can do something, you can do something. So let's find a way to do something. And I think maybe we can make a difference. I'm going to still try to have some hope about that. And I have several really great interviews coming up soon that I'm really excited about, people that I'm going to be interviewing. And I'm also open to other um, other guests on my podcast. I would love to interview anyone who wants to come on and share their story. And because of the topic that I've been speaking about today, I want to shout out to anyone who has ideas, who maybe has a charity that they know of, or that they started that can be a help in any of the social justice issues, I would love to have you come on and give me some direction. Help me know where to start, where what I can do politically, or just as a, I mean, I am not a person who is going to join the politics world, but just as a citizen of this country, I would love for ideas and, you know, help and direction in knowing where I can put my money, where I can speak my voice, where my voice can be heard, where I can make a difference in any of these issues. So if you have any tips for me or you want to come on and talk about something to that effect, I would love it and I would gladly welcome you. So reach out to me. And also, if you're loving this podcast, I would be so grateful if you donated to it. I do this for free on my off time, you know, when I'm not working my other full-time job or taking care of my kids. (laughs) Um, And it's a space that I think has become a really great safe space for a lot of people. I have loved the feedback I've gotten from people. I, it makes me so happy when somebody emails me and says, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Oh my gosh, my heart will just burst at reading that. Like it makes me so happy. So that means that my pull to do this was for a reason. Like I really just have felt such a strong desire to be in this space and to speak out and to use my voice in any way that is helpful to anyone. And so if you like the work that I'm doing and you're willing to help support it, I would be so incredibly grateful to you. You can go to mormondiscussions.org. You can go to dissidentdaughters.org and you can donate. You can do a one-time donation or you can do a recurring donation where it's just comes out of your bank account. It's so easy and simple. It can be just the smallest dollar amount whatever you can afford. I am so incredibly grateful for anything and and everyone who has supported me already. So I appreciate it. I will be back soon with more things to talk about and more incredibly interesting guests. And I love you all. And I'm so thankful for this space. And 
my ex-Mormon community is means everything to me. It is a lifeline for me, and I hope it's a lifeline for you. I hope that I can bring some happiness and some joy and some hope. I know that maybe this episode has been a little maybe discouraging because I've been lacking in hope right now, but hopefully we can all work together and come up with solutions and help each other to have more hope for our future and for our kids. So I love you. Thank you and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.